the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, everybody. A Friday, November the 24th, 2023, a.k.a. Black Friday, snow in the city. I'm Peter Boyles, in for George Brockler. And, of course, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., we'll be back, Lou and I, back on a Saturday morning. It's uh, It was uh, just an interesting Thanksgiving. I had a great one myself. The family was great. All's well. But now things come back to talk radio. This is a golden opportunity. Uh, Chuck Morris is with us in... Uh, Singing sing, sing Chuck's praises, or you know, and Chuck will blow it off. And no, no, it's a, no, it's amazing. And rock promoter, the clubs, the the shows, the record deals, and now now an, an academician, as they say, now teaching. Yeah, I started a music business department at Colorado State University, which I've dreamt, dreamt on doing that as a second career. And because I spoke at a lot of schools on one-offs, UCD, I spoke. At Boulder. I spoke at University of uh, Moses. I, I went up to the University of Montana and did a weekend of executives speaking to the students. And, I, and my dad was a school teacher, and, and I always wanted to do that as a second career. Frankly, after I did everything I wanted in the music business, I could afford to live on a college professor's salary, <laughs> and um, I'm having the time of my life. It's at CSU, and I started it three years ago. A music business department, which I'm chairman of, and I've hired some great teachers under me, and I've had a lot of my friends guest lecture either live or by Skype. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, know, you can do anything now, yeah. And it's amazing. All my uh, fairly well-known artist friends, very few have said no, and they've all. I mean, I had Kesha, who I've had uh, known her. I used to work with her mother. She came. I mean, we've had so many, so many great artists that have guest lectured it's been and executives you know bob from the avids we've had billy nursery from string cheese ben lovett from mumford and sons i mean i can go on and on and they've either done it live or by skype and um it's it's been so much fun and so rewarding i i live up in fort collins i bought a little place near campus a little townhouse and uh I'm up there four days a week, and I'm having the time of my life. And I still consult for my old company for wow. AEG. Wow. And um, I'm doing so many things. I, three years ago, I said, it's time for me to slow down. When I stepped down as CEO of AEG for this part of the country, and my two sidekicks, Don, Don Strasberg and Brent Fedrizzi, took over. And by the way, they haven't missed a beat. Those guys are the greatest. And I thought I was going to slow down, start a little program, still do a little work for AEG. But... I guess it's not in my DNA to slow down. The program's exploded. Uh, I'm also writing an autobiography with Brett Saunders. Yeah, who well, I love. Who's I saw I saw him at a restaurant. Um, he's a month great. Ago, he's month been and around ago. my career for years, and yeah. he's a great writer. He's a jazz critic for the yeah. Denver Post, yeah. and uh, yeah. we have about 17 hours of tapes and uh, finishing the first two chapters. I'm gonna go get a publishing deal and then finish the book. <laughs> And again, and I think everybody does know Chuck's name, but just in case, uh, if you've been to a concert in Colorado in the last 40 years. Actually, you, 50. 50 now. <laughs> that long. Well, how long we know? Well, well I guess yeah. I, 
I dropped out of graduate school at CU at 22. I was halfway to a Ph.D. I was a T.A., but I love music more than getting a doctorate. We're going to go slow because we, you, we, in the last hour we started out, you came out from New York. You were one of those really hot students, and so you were in grad school at a very young age. At 20 age. years old. That's pretty young. Going for a doctorate in political science. I love government. It's probably why I've done so many political benefits. But you also said, you know, you went to a – it was the Kingston Trio. At 10 years old, um, my dad was a camp counselor at Lake Chautauqua, New York, that had a symphony. It's a summer resort. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my dad was a school teacher, so he had to be a counselor. Okay. And he was a counselor at different camps and usually brought up the family, and I went up there. And I saw the Kingston Trio, and oh, I no. found God watching yeah. them oh, yeah. and fell in love first with folk music and uh, with with every kind of music. In fact, after so, I saw them, I bought a Martin Tenor my parents bought me a Martin yes. Tenor four-string guitar, which yeah. Nick Reynolds played in the Kingston Trio, and I was not very good, but I loved it. I still have that guitar, by the way. When, as a, as a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, we were really, and, and it's interesting, music you know, By the way, a lot of people from Pittsburgh went to Lake Chautauqua for the summer. Wow. Yeah. And I was influenced by, we've talked about it, the radio station was Whammo, and I, it was a black station. With one white jock, the afternoon guy, the drive guy, who's named a guy named Porky Chadwick. Other guys wow. were listening to Top 40 radio, and we were listening. Every kid walking around had a Porky Chadwick sole security card in their wallet. You know, wow. we, but it was the Dells, and it was... Well, the, I listened to Murray the K in the Swing and Soiree, 1010 Winds, New York. They, How do you like that? No, it was what everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but it was the tremendous influence that, that all of that music had. You know, um, Pookie Hudson and the Orioles. Uh, you know, get down to list Lee Andrews and the Hearts. Uh, just they they meant so much. And so here you are. So you come out here. Came out here to go for a doctorate. I got I got into like four graduate schools, and actually I picked. I I didn't know anything about Colorado, but they they sent me a brochure and there was a. This is so sexist, but I'll say it anyway. There's a beautiful girl on the cover of in front of the Norland Library. Sure. I didn't even know the mountains were here. You know, New York is <laughs> – sure. you grew up in Brooklyn and then and then Queens. New Jersey's the West Coast. You know, Lou, our producer, grew up the same pl- – we talked – he was at my house last night for dinner, and I was telling him, you know, about what we, we were going to do. And Lou's from probably what? Two miles away, Lou, from where Chuck grew up? 865 Montgomery Street, Crown Heights. Where did you grow up, Lou? Bushwick, Brooklyn. Did you hear he – say it again. Bushwick, Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, Flatbush, yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah, well, yeah, I was in Crown Heights. But anyway, oh. so I decided to go on a semi, partial scholarship to Boulder. Knew nothing about the mountains. Didn't know anything about it, but I got into like – I was a good student. Got into like four graduate schools. For some st- silly reason, I picked Boulder, CU. Came out on a train. Hmm. Um, hit, there were a bunch of students because it was a week before school started. And I, I didn't hitchhike, but there were about six students that were getting picked up in a big van, so I talked my way into them taking me to the to CU. I had it uh, in, uh, in graduate housing there. Uh, um, and when I got off the train, it was very cloudy and rainy, and you couldn't see the Rockies Mountains. And, you know, but when we got over the hill into Boulder – all of a sudden, Boom. I see these Rocky Mountains. I said, Boom. what the heck is that? I mean, I grew up in the in the Catskills yes. going to camp. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I was like blown away. And uh, I guess the rest is history. I spent the rest of my life here. 
So, but you, I remember that the stories you've told me about getting into the club business, and it was in Tulagi, right? In, well, no. Okay. Um, I decided after two years I wanted to do something in music with people, and I got friendly with a wonderful guy named Herbie Kavar, who owned The Sink, that was legendary amazing. bar. It was, by the way, 3-2 beer then. The whole okay. hill was 3-2 wow. bar. And one day I told him I had dropped out. And he well, said, why? I mean, Chuck Morris is here, by the way. Peter Boyle, 710, us for George Brockler. Here you are, a really good student, and you quit. Because I love music, and I want to do something in the music business. Didn't know anybody, and decided I'd follow my, followed my heart and dropped out of graduate school, and I was telling that to Herbie. I used to have a beer with him after Norland <laughs> Library at 11 o'clock. <laughs> a really wonderful guy. And one day I told him I had dropped out, and he said, why don't you manage the sink? I said, Herbie, I've never managed a bar. Are you yeah. crazy? I tried to convince him that I yeah, don't shouldn't hire me. hire me. Yeah, don't hire me. But he convinced me. I started managing the sink, and we had monster years. I found out then I was a natural promoter. I did some interesting – well, first of all, they never had music there, and I did one of my bartenders. Actually, Kevin Fitzgerald is now a famous veterinarian. Good friend of mine. Great friend of mine. Great friend of mine. He was a bartender for me when he was at CU. And you know, they, said, they worked. They worked muscle for uh, for Barry. They that, were, well, yeah, it started yeah, with me, yeah, yeah. and then my clubs. And then I, when I went to Feyline, we hired him there. Yeah, and a great veterinarian, a great comic. I just talked to him yesterday. We're still busy. such a good guy. I mean, but anyway, I'm losing my train of thought. Right. So here you are. So um, Herbie said. So I started managing the sink. Well. And, uh, you know, I did some really cool things. I bought, They never had music. I did the second show of Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kiss, thanks to Kevin Fitzgerald, who said, I got some friends that are a brand-new band yeah. that had dropped out of CU. Why don't you come over and um, see them? And I saw them, and I said, you guys, they had played, I think, one oh, show. Yeah. I gave them all the beer they can drink. They played the back room in the afternoon, and we broke every record. They're still playing. Oh, indeed. Yeah, and we inducted them to the Colorado Musical Remember, they, they were in American Graffiti. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And they were the the band in Happy Days. That's right. They've oh, had a know. long career. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, but anyway, and then I now, what, put a year on this. What, what year? Nineteen sixty-eight. I managed to sing okay. from sixty to seventy. All right. Sixty-eight to seventy. Okay. And then up the street, a place called Tulagi's was yes. bankrupt. It, it was sort of like a dance bar, but it was mm-hmm. five hundred seats. And I convinced Herbie that, you know, Boulder was starting to explode as a music maker. Jim Gersio had moved mm. there and started Caribou Ranch, the best studio in America. Band, guys like Dan Fogelberg so, were there. If I there. could take a minute, for the people that don't, because that's legendary, the Caribou, what was it about that place and who all went through there? Everybody. Elton yeah. John has an album called Caribou that he recorded there. Yeah. Everybody, Jim Garcia was a great friend, still around. He sold the band. The, the 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 it was a huge amount of acres on top of Netherland, yeah. And one of the great studios in America. He started off in a in a music band and then became their producer mm-hmm. and then built a studio because he didn't want to go on the road anymore and became built this great studio, produced a whole bunch of records for Chicago, for the Beach Boys, yeah. for a whole bunch. And Jimmy's still around. He's so still when, around. when there's a session like that, how long does it take and what? Well, the, well, what? the, the, the studio broke down, uh, was burnt down in 86 and he never, he, he mm-hmm. stayed up there, but he never redid it. But what was great about Caribou, because a lot of my bands had recorded there and I used to go there, it was... Uh, 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 mm-hmm. The most beautiful site, a great studio, and it was po- totally secure. In fact, he had he had like p- guys on horses, 
and it was it was locked in, so bands could work twenty four hours a day in the studio. Mm. And he had beautiful cabins where they stayed to record. And it was a great, great studio. And Jim Garcia was genius. And um, uh, his first band in Chicago was the Buckinghams. That's then they became. No, no, Buckingham's. He was in the band and he produced them. What was their big hit? I can't kind of a drag. That's it. Yeah, better memory. Than me. Anyway, yeah. so um, uh, what was it talking about? Anyway, it, it burnt down. Jimmy actually sold all that property a while ago. Moved to Boulder. A legendary guy and a very big influence in the music business. So he, he was the initiator of the Caribou. He built it. The studio. Yeah. yeah. He was a famous producer yeah. then. And the people would come, and you were part of all of that. And well, I, a lot of my bands played, uh, recorded up there. I'd go up there a lot. Chuck Morris is here. The question was to put out something like, I don't even know if LPs exist anymore, but. Oh, that, no, they're, they're coming back. Are they really? Plastics coming back? Are you kidding me? I, LPs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Definitely. So, so what, because it kind of stopped for me. Right. <laughs> and if I don't hear you, I don't know, or my, or my kids. So how long would it take? And, and most, if there's an average time to really do something like that. To record a record up yeah. there? Yeah. Like up there? Yeah. Oh, God. It's a slow process, but I would yeah. say at least a month. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great because bands could live up there 24 hours a day, go in the studio anytime they oh, wanted. It's Netherlands. Uh, yeah. And it was a, you know, a secure studio and gorgeous place mm-hmm. with beautiful cabins where the band stayed and fishing and hunting and everything. It was a legendary place. One we always greatest, said... I called it the Abbey Rose of America. Well, we always said Netherlands was the land that time forgot. <laughs> it was, no, you'd go out there and it was like you went into another time warp. But anyway, after the sink, we did... Oh, another thing I did at the mm. sink that I realized, hey, I'm a pretty good promoter, which I didn't realize until I started managing I, the sink. The sink had no rock music. It had no live music. It had a jukebox that did very, very well. And I came up with this crazy idea. And the jukebox, jukebox guys who owned the jukebox, they leased it to everybody. Oh, yeah, sure. And the only thing they put in the, were, were the top 40 singles of the week that comes of the from, month. That comes from the old but stories. But I had this yeah. crazy idea, yeah. and I convinced the jukebox guys to do it, that I could do it, was to take unusual music that college students loved, make a 45 out of it, and put it in there. Like I did the theme from the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I did all this, and I did album cuts sure. from bands because they only had the hits on there, and the the it exploded the jukebox. And I said, "Boy, I guess I know how to promote or something," and started booking some local bands like Flash Cadillac and a young kid who moved from Sioux City named Tommy Bolin, oh, died way too young, but. And then I convinced Herbie that we ought to take over a bankrupt Tulagi's. It was 1970-71, and start a national rock club. There really was no rock club then. Barry Fay had one, but had closed a while ago, the Family Dog. And there was no club. And that's a whole story. They've, they've done a film on that now. Yeah, yeah. I know. They, you know, they interviewed yeah. me for that. But you know, anyway, That's right, you're in it. I'm but <laughs> anyway, um, so I convinced them we ought to – Boulder was exploding as a music mecca. Dan Fogelberg had moved, was moved there, was ready to move there. Jim Garcia started Caribou Ranch. Stephen Stills moved there and oh, started man. Manassas. Yeah. Uh, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, who I later managed for 30 years, some, they all moved to Boulder or Denver or Aspen. It was becoming a mecca, and I thought it was ready for a national rock club. And so we took over this bankrupt place. Herbie put up all the money, and I was partners with him. Um, 
And uh, we opened with Zephyr, Tommy Bowen's band, yeah. the sold-out time. I mean, to Loggies, we had the first tour of the Doobie Brothers, Linda Ronstadt, ZZ Top, the Bonnie e- Raitt. Your Eagle story is the one that I've always loved. Uh, yeah. Um, I got a, Irving Azoff, who's like my oldest friend in the music business. A legend. Was working at— Do you remember your backyard that, that evening when we sat and talked? Yeah. I, for, for me and— so Chuck's backyard, and there he is. And uh, well, I go back to the oh man second show of the Eagles. Um, Tell that story. Well, he was working with Geffen Roberts, David Geffen, and yeah. Elliot Roberts. In fact, he didn't even call me. Somebody else called me and said, "We just put a band together, four guys." Don, if I can, I think I remember. Don Henley was from Long Branch, Penny Whistle. Glenn Fry was mm-hmm. from the Linda Ronstadt band. Uh, Randy Meisner was the founder of Poco and the original guitar player. My mind escapes me. It was in the Flying Burrito Brothers, and we want to rehearse for a couple of weeks in small, a, couple, a small city before we make our first album. And I love the pedigree of the guys. And so I, I think I paid them $100 a night <laughs> for three nights. Jeez. And their producer, a guy named Glenn Johns, yeah. flew in from yeah. London and took notes. Yeah. And I thought they were great. They drew about 20 people a night. I was going to say, what, was it during Bernie the— Bernie Ledden ho- was the original guitar player, was by it, the way. Under the, was it during the holidays or something? It was after, yeah. it was after finals, and I said, yeah. no one's going to be there. And yeah. they said, we don't care. We, we want to rehearse. Our producer's yeah. coming in from London, and we're going to make an album a month later. And there were no—we had a, bl- a blizzard one night. There were like eight people there. Mm. But they were great. And then they took— Afterwards, they locked the door. I was there, and they, and I saw. I mean, I saw history because of the four guys and and, and Glenn talked about m- making that first mm-hmm. album, which they did in January, and then in June the album came out, the first Eagles album, and the rest was history. But when you hear something, Chuck Morris is here, Peter Boyle, seven ten K in U.S. I remember the first time I heard the Eagles. It just blew me away. And I, now on this motorcycle, I have I have a sound system, and I have all the Eagles tracks in there. It's amazing. Desperado, and they're still bigger than things. ever, yeah. selling out stadiums. Yeah, oh man. And so, did was there something that went off in your head and said these guys are that good? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's funny. I, I became really great friends with all the guys, mm-hmm. and I still argue with Don Henley when I see him or mm-hmm. whatever in an Eagle show. And I said, boy, I remember when you first started before you even made it, you were so great. And of course, Don, who's the hardest guy in himself yeah. I've ever known. Yeah said, Chuck, we sucked. Can I say that word? Sure. Yes, yeah, sir. we were terrible. He said, no, you weren't. But it's probably why he became so big. Is he's the toughest guy in the world on his own yeah. self. He said, our harmony stunk. We, and I guess he was right, but I was still, they were playing all the songs from the first album. Mm-hmm. Peaceful, Easy Feeling, oh, yeah, oh, Take yeah. It Easy. Oh, yeah. and sure. He was like, holy cow. Yeah. yeah. But he, always, he, he was probably right. They weren't that good, but I was knocked on my socks. I mean, the first time I heard, I'd like to sleep with you in the desert tonight. You said, whoever yeah. wrote that, you know, was. You know, it was great about Don Henley and Glenn Fry. I went to actually yeah. his celebration of his life when he died tragically a couple of years ago. But um, what was great about those guys they were great songwriters, oh. but they weren't afraid to use, and they didn't have a big ego enough to use other people's songs. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was beautiful. Um, well, Jack Temption, sure. songwriter in L.A., wrote Peaceful, Easy Feeling, and they recorded that. Yeah. They, they didn't have an ego enough, ego, but they would mm-hmm. if they found a great song, they'd record it even if they didn't write it, which is unusual. No, it's like the smuggler's blues. You know, I hear that, and I still... Yeah, but they were uh, amazing, that they, and they also picked some great... Oh. Songwriters, because oh. J.D. Souther co-wrote a lot of songs with mm-hmm. them. Yeah. 
and um, I'm being listen. I'm being told it's break time. I get wrapped up in you. So in in studio, and he will continue. He is uh, one of my true favorites, longest friend. Chuck Morris is here. I'm Peter Boyle's in for George Brock. We're back here tomorrow morning at nine. It is snowing in the city, and 25 will be the high. 10 degrees tonight. 28 on Saturday. Stay here, 710 KNUS. Christmas music, 710 KNUS. This is uh, Phil Spector stuff. Yeah, sure. Wow, the wall of sound. Good morning, everybody, on a Friday, the 24th of November, 2023, and on and off the air. This is a one of a kind. Chuck Morris is here, and we're talking about so many different things off air that we could not bring on air, because if we did, we'd be looking for work. But rock promoter and clubs and all the different record deals and status and shows. And now he's teaching on a university level. And we're talking about early on where, you know, you quit grad school and uh, you begin. You've gone through all of this stuff. And well, then you, I had a break from Herbie Kavar at the sink, who I became friendly with. I used to have a beer with him after I studied at Norland <laughs> Library. And I had dropped out of graduate school because I decided I wanted to do something with people and maybe with music. And I let him know that, and he said, why don't you manage the sink? And I said, what? He said, my manager just quit yesterday, and everybody here at the sink loves you. You're really smart. And I actually tried to convince him not to hire me. I said, I didn't have managed a bar. He said, no, you'll be great, and I took it and started doing some really cool things there. I think I talked about the putting in records in the and, and booking local bands like Flash Cadillac and a young kid named Tommy Bolin. And after that, um, Tulagi's was closed. It was a dance bar on the hill, and I convinced Herbie to put up the money because I didn't have any money and to open up a national rock club. And at Tulagi's, we had the first tours of – the Doobie Brothers, Linda Ronstadt, ZZ Top, Bonnie Raitt, the second show ever of the Eagles. We had blues people like Big Mama Thornton, Lightning Hopkins, you Charlie Musselwood, Muddy you, Waters. You have a great Big Mama story. Um, oh, yeah. Well, well, the greatest thing about Tulagi's in, and in general those days, there was a station in Boulder called KRNW, yeah. which became KPCO. Yeah, that's right. And there was a free, free-form radio, and they played everything. Absolutely. So college kids who listened to them heard blues and folk and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were into all sorts of music, and I booked them all. I mean, at Tulagi's, I had jazz like Eddie Harris and Roland Kirk and uh, Les McCann. I had folkies Oof. like uh, Leo Kotke, and Tom, who I later managed for 40 years, and Tom Rush and Earl Scruggs and Eric Anderson and Doc Watson and John a, Prine. You have a great Earl Scruggs story, too. I mean, I've, I've sat with this yeah. man for 50 years. and Tell the Big Mama story. I think that's what Well, you, I had Big Mama Thornton, for those who don't know, was the greatest maybe – Blue singer ever. Ever. And she uh, was already 75 or something. She was playing for me at Salagi's. And I used to get, I used to do, I used to bring my artists down the afternoon of shows to sell more tickets. Mm-hmm. And KFML, I think it was, said, wanted to bring oh, Big indeed. Mama down. And I drove her from Tulagi, from Boulder to Denver to do an interview. And she polished off a, like a eighth of scotch bottle the whole way. I love it. And on the way, and the way back, and then she was who she was, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, and she was I, the yeah. great, well, maybe the greatest blues female singer of all time. Um, Didn't she do Hound Dog first? Yeah, I before believe Elvis. So. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was part of what she had done. Yeah, she yeah. may have even written it. Who wrote Hound I, you Dog? You know, I think you're right. I think yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, but we had every kind of act because freeform radio, yeah. college kids were into everything. I mean, and you know, we had some really. 
you know, as I said, blues, folk, yeah. rock, when jazz. I, when I first got into business as a writer and a traffic reporter, it was KFML. Yeah. And I did yeah. a lot of live, I did a lot of broadcasts for my clubs. I also did a lot of interviews down there. I'll never forget, I had heard about this guy, Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. <laughs> and what I used to do in those days is if I heard somebody was good, I'd go by the yeah. record and bring it down to a station, and if they liked it, they'd play yeah. it. Yeah. And they played it like crazy, yeah. and I booked Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks, who was, uh, he died t- mm. a couple of years ago, yeah. which was sad. But um, I'll never forget, he came to Salagi's, and there was a line for the first time in Boulder. Mm. And I think Denver. I'm not sure of that. And he was across the street at the record store in the afternoon getting ready for sound check. And I went across the street. I introduced myself. Hey, I'm Chuck. Mm-hmm. You know, I run the club. I own the club. Um, I'm so thrilled. And there was a line around the block at 4 in the afternoon. To get in. To get in for his show. Wow. And he looked at me and said, who am I opening for? I said, you're headlining. He didn't know. He was – I loved Dan. And, yeah. you know, he wasn't uh, – he just didn't follow how many business he did. He let other people do that. And he was, like, blown. And he said, that's amazing. And I said, yeah. And he couldn't believe. He thought that he thought he was the opener that night. Wow. Wow. And I had people like Commander Cody who oh, became big. Um, in fact, oh. I went to George's funeral when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, he became really big in Denver, Boulder. You know, both of us, Chuck Morris. George Brain is the real name of Commander Cody. Yeah. Chuck Morris is here, and Peter Boyle, 710K and USN for George Brockler. And now you and I were talking about this off-air. They're, they're, we're crossing over into this area where we're losing friends. Oh, God, nobody warned me when I got my age. The good news is I'm healthy and my family's healthy, but I've had so many funerals of artists. Yeah, it, you think it's the business itself? No, that, I think people that. in their 70s die. Oh, I think that as well. But how many people you knew that... Died early or died young. Well, in a lot of people in the early days. But, you know, the music business has really cleaned itself up. I'm not naive. There's still Mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol. But it's such a tough business now that executives and artists have to be pretty together. What's changed the most over since you started? In the music business? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just what I said. It is so competitive. It is so hard to get music out there. So, you know, there's not 100 labels, mm-hmm. there's 20. Yeah. It's hard to get a record deal, and most artists are doing it themselves, some very successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much harder to make it. Yeah. And you really have to have your oomph together yeah. to make it. Yeah. And um, it's great to see the music business has really cleaned itself up out of necessity. My friends who never got straight, they're either dead or well, not in the business anymore. Yeah, you and I talk about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You had a choice. Yeah. And yeah. I've been sober since 1988. Yeah. Very lucky. We we both. Yep. And we, I, I, when I met you, you were working for Barry Fay. It's the first time I met yeah, you. Yeah. Well, um, I called, when I had Tulagi's and I was bringing in acts for the first time to Colorado, and then when they got big, they played for Fay. Mm-hmm. And we used to fight on the phone, and he used to beat me. And I realized if I wanted to get bigger, I might have to go into business with him. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, we opened the Loggies with Zephyr, Tommy Bowen's band. Uh, Well, he was the young guitar player in it, and I fought with Barry's managing them. We fought on the phone. Um, On the first night of my my career at the He could be rough. He was right, by (laughs) the way. It's a funny story. Um, May she rest in peace, 
Candy Given showed up like an hour and a half late for the show for opening night of my Tulagis. Wow. And um, I, did, I was a rookie in the business. I didn't know anything about anything. Barry was managing them. And I decided that there were 100 people that asked for refunds because she was so late. Yeah. And so I took that money off what I was paying them. Sure. But wait. So <laughs> The phone rings. <laughs> the phone rings after the show. It's Barry screaming at you. What the? What yeah. the fuck? There was oh, a guarantee that yeah. you yeah. had a certain amount. I said, yeah, but we had 100 refunds. He said, did you sell those tickets? I said, yeah. He said, that's even worse. And oh, yeah. he was right, by the way. I was a rookie. I didn't, oh. And he screamed at me. Oh. And then when when some of the acts that I had at Tulagis, like the Eagles and ZZ and Linda and the Doobies, who were first time in Colorado, mm-hmm. um, played for Faye, I said, I may have to go into business with this guy. I'd never met him in person. Did, did he call you? And no, I called him. I called him. Yeah. I called him at Salagi's and said, and I didn't think he'd take my phone call because we fought over the phone. Mm. And he usually won. He was yeah. a major promoter. And he's very, I can't swear, oh, certain things. Careful. He, he answered, what the <laughs> yeah, you sure. want? He did that I all. I said, well, I'm this young kid that has really yeah. been successful at Salagi's. And, you know, when the bands that I sort of discovered – get bigger yeah. they play for you and um i'd like to do something together maybe open a club together mm-hmm. and he came up the next night which he said i'll come see you tomorrow night yeah and he showed and he showed up and said you're the best club kid was, he, was he was he driving then or to let a driver no no he wasn't driving yeah. then. in <laughs> fact he he said i'm speaking at chucky weiss's music business class and the late he had an evening class and I'll come over afterwards. He came and sat with me and said, you're the best club kid I've seen. Go find a club. I'll put up a little money, and we'll be partners. And that Chucky Weiss is Chucky's in love. Yeah. Anyway, your, so yeah. we found a place called Marvelous Marv's and Ooh. changed it to – I named it Ebbets Field because I grew up 10 blocks from Ebbets Field and was a big Brooklyn Dodger fan. And um, we uh, – Barry uh, and the, and Cindy mm-hmm. as my partners oh. – and uh, Ebbetsfield was hugely successful. Yeah. We had the first tours. Well, we had dates with Willie, Whalen, the Ramones, uh, Billy Joel's first shows, yeah. Little Feet, Fairport wow. Convention, Barry Manilow's first shows, Tom Waits a million times, the New York Dolls. It, we actually, I became Club Operator of the Year Award from Billboard in 75 and 76. And uh, it was hugely successful. And then when... Phelan got really big. Barry said, why don't you sell the club and become my main guy? So I became senior vice president for 10 years of Phelan and did a lot of the booking and a lot of the stuff. And um, Let me pause you here because yeah. I'm being told to break. Well, Uh-oh. Well, no, uh, Chuck I'm Morris, kidding. Peter Boyles, together again. But that thing that we were talking about during the pause is there is an innate ability, and you clearly have it. And how did you know? I mean, how did you know these things? And that's really significant because we, we made mistakes, lots of mistakes. Oh, yeah. But we there's something that, that drove it. Pick it up. The one, the only, Chuck. He'll be, Chuck Morris will be with us until 10. I'm Peter Boyles, 710 KNUS. Morning, everybody. Peter Boyles in for George Brockler. I'll be back tomorrow at 9 o'clock to do the Saturday show. Another great song. Louis picking them. Black Friday, snow in the city, and it's going to be cold today, 25, and then down to 10 degrees tonight and 28 on Saturday in studio. And we're getting just these wonderful, wonderful messages on the show, and it's because of this guy. Chuck Morris is here, and I don't know how many years we go back together, but... A long time. It really, you know, it just was boom, and we're on and off the air telling stories, and 
uh, rock promoter and the record deals and the shows and the clubs and just putting the deals together. And now Chuck is teaching university on the music business. And we both said to each other, when I came into the radio business, I was only smart enough to listen to people that I respected. Other than that, how did you learn to do what you do? It was... Well, um, I had a... I found, as I said before, I had a really good instinct for promoting. That was it. Even when I started managing the sink and started doing some wacky things, that, that I knew how to promote things. How I did well, I think, is I grew up as a little kid li- buying every album I could and listening to all the music because I loved playing mm-hmm. an average guitar and spent my early early life loving music and listening to everything I can get my uh, hands on and fell in love with music. Starting with folk music. Yeah. We, I was telling a story last night at Thanksgiving table. Um, I had these great mentors, the late, great Gus Mercus among them. And I'm working at Cat Radio, and, and he takes me. Wow. It, was not, it was a little bit before this time of the year, but he takes me up to Colfax to a cup of coffee. And he looks at me, and he said, did you ever notice? And this is when the learning experience. He said, did you ever notice when you turn the radio on, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, there's somebody there. I went, yeah. And he said, well, this year it's you. Wow. <laughs> and I could have said no, which probably would have blunted everything. The the part about you that was you had willingness. I was willing, you were willing. And when other people would say no, you would say yes. And so you go to work with Faye. Yeah, I called him because... The bands that I discovered, as I said before, the first Eagles show, before they made their first album, the Doobies, Linda Ronstadt, ZZ Top, a whole bunch of bands. And when they got big, they played for Faye. And I said, if I want to get bigger in the business, maybe I would have How old are you then at that time? I don't remember, 20. uh, Let's see, I came out here at 20 as a graduate student. I started working at 24 at the sink. I was proud. Oh, God. You know... Middle 20s? Yeah. Yeah. Middle to late 20s. Anyway, so um, I called him, came up, and he said, you know, you're the best young club kid. Uh, Why don't you find a club, and we'll be partners. And I found Marvelous Marv's, and we opened it with me and uh, Barry and Cindy, Mm -hmm. both of them. And um, it became Billboard Club of the Year. I mean, Ebbets Field, we had first shows, early shows of Willie Whalen, Jimmy Mm -hmm. Buffett. Billy Joel's first Piano Man tour, Whoa. Little Feet, Whoa. Barry Manilow's tour when he was first breaking with Mandy, yeah. the New York Dolls, Tom Waits a bunch of times, a whole bunch of great acts. And I was honored in 75 and 76. I got an award from Billboard magazine as Club Operator of the Year for Ebbets Field. I was very – not for – yeah, for Ebbets Field. But then when Phelan started getting bigger, Barry asked me to sell the club and become his right-hand guy, which I did for And that was over years. on Cherry Street. <laughs> Well, the original That's one, one I remember. There was one before that. Was it? okay? Yeah. Well, Feline, the one I it was on Evans. Remember that one? Sure. Yeah. Well, kind Barry of. Barry moved yeah. around yeah. Feline a couple yeah. of times. But the one on Cherry Street, and you had a barber. Not people said, "What was that in there?" The barber's chair. I had a barber's chair because my grandfather was a Russian immigrant mm-hmm. who had a one-man barber shop in Brooklyn. Yeah. And I idolized him. He only spoke. Yiddish, mm-hmm. barely spoke English. My other grandfather was a milkman, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, so I grew up, he had a barbershop in Brooklyn, and I would 
go and have his, he would cut my hair. And I'll never forget my grandpa, um, when he finished cutting it, he had something in his, every time I went there, he had something in his hand and he gave it to me and it was like a quarter mm. to thank me for letting him cut this grandson's oh, yeah, sure. hair. Yeah. And so a barber chair, chair meant a lot to me. So I found this old antique barber chair. You still have it? You know, I don't. I, I lost it in some move. Yeah. No. But, uh, but um, yeah, I had it in my office for years. Not that, his chair, but no. I had a chair. That was an amazing, the Cherry Street place was, it, it, was, a, it was a hub. Oh, yeah. how, how did you know, how do you know, like Faye would do that Summer of Stars, which I really know that mm-hmm. was your input. How do you know who to pick? In other words, and then they would team up with radio stations. How, how did you know you how mean to mean acts? Yeah. I think the, the good ones are all instinctive. You know, as I've gotten older, my role changed. And I had our 28 years ago, two terrific guys, Brent Fadrizi and Don Strasberg, who started the Fox Theater right out of college at 23. And they, they you know, I became more, uh, when I ran the company, Chuck Morris, Bill Grant Presents, I was more of an orchestra leader, and, and they picked the bands because they were on top of the new music mm-hmm. more than yeah, I sure. was. Yeah. And in face of losing it, I was on top of the new music 15 years earlier. But not anymore. My role changed okay. as a promoter, head of a company. You mentioned Bill Graham. There's been so many stories about Bill Graham. Um, can I ask what was Bill Graham like to work well, with? Well, Faye and I co-promoted with him. Mm-hmm. He was brilliant. You know, he was oh, born true. in a concentration camp. Oh, I knew that. And brilliant, but he had a tough side. But he also had a heart of gold, which some people I know didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and gave a lot of money to <laughs> charities. Yes. I'll tell you my favorite Bill story. Right. Um People might remember a guy named Steve Wozniak, founder of Apple. Absolutely. Started the Us Festival. Yes. And he paid a fee, and he didn't care what he paid for the bands. It was basically in his backyard in Santa Barbara. And the first year, Bill Graham had gotten it. The second year, he put it out to bid, and Faye and I made a proposal to him. We had to go talk to him. Sure. And um, I thought it was pretty good. It was a fee because he didn't care what he paid. If he liked an act, he'd pay him anything they wanted. And... um, that late afternoon, we were sitting in the Beverly Wilshire together in a suite, and Waz, his nickname, who's brilliant and started Apple mm-hmm. with Steve Jobs, made a gazillion dollars, and he had this little toy, the US Festival. And so Bill tried to get it the second year, and we made a proposal. And after we met with him, we waited for an answer, and he called us like three hours later and said, I want to congratulate you guys. You're going to do the second year of the US wow. Festival, which we booked. And help produce, and he uh, and, and we were thrilled and hung up. And five, uh, no, before he said yes, I'm sorry. Let me get my story right. We were waiting to it for an answer, and Bill Graham called us. And said, Both you guys get on the phone. Yeah. So we got on the phone. And it was Bill who had gotten the first year mm-hmm. and was trying to get the second year of which me and Faye mm-hmm. were competing. And Bill called us and said. Let me tell you guys, I love Steve Wozniak, a wonderful guy, but the first Us Festival, he did some such crazy things out of naivete that we almost had a riot. He let security go too early. He did all these things. I'm not even going to go for it again Um, and because he's a wonderful guy, but he really screwed it up, and it scares me to go for it again, Mm -hmm. and he hangs up. Now, Barry was a much better street guy than I was, and Barry turns around to me and said, he's lying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I said, 
Barry, I'm almost in tears from yeah. what he said. We should not mm-hmm. go, you know, try to get it. I said, he said, Chuck, I'm telling you, he's lying. And then we get a call like an hour later from Waz saying, you guys got it. And by the way, I told Bill three hours ago. Bang. Yeah. Oh, so no. That's Bill no got, no. found out he didn't get it yes. and then called us and lied. Yeah, sure. Now, there was a great side of Bill. He was gave a lot of money to charity, did a lot of wonderful things. But he had that tough promoter side. Th- back in that time period, the same thing when some guy would have a bad book. Another guy would send him a bouquet of dead roses. That a kind of book? Uh, that, you know, bad book, bad, bad, bad ratings book. Oh, ratings, okay. Yeah, and they I would, know what book Oh, is, yeah. they did. You know, stuff that was, uh, call their lead guy up and say, he's got a job in, uh, you know, a bigger market, Chicago. Yeah. The guy would go and there would be no job. Just get him off the air. Yeah. And that stuff, hey, music's there. Chuck stays. Peter Boyle, 710 KNUS on a Friday morning. Lou and I are back tomorrow morning at 9. Chuck Moore, 710 KNUS. I got a lot more questions. Stay here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.